Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about *The Automatic Millionaire* by David Bach. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Corinne Ritchie, and me, Tom Butler Bowden. Uh, so, what we do every week with uh, the Book Lounge is we choose a book and we go into it the, the sort of key themes, the details, what we like about each book, um, and chat about it and try to pull out some interesting things for your work or your life um, or just stuff that will make you think. Yep. And each week uh, I also weigh in on the book and update you on the latest news about the title and the author. Um, and as always, make sure you check out our Book Insights episodes. Those are for like the really in-depth exploration of these best nonfiction books. But here in the Book Lounge, it's just an informal chat about the book of the week. And this week, since we are talking about personal finances, we brought in a personal finance guru. She goes by the name Budget Girl. Uh, her claim to fame is that she managed to pay off $33,000 of debt in three years while making just $25K a year. Amazing. Amazing. She is a YouTube. She's a debt destroyer. She's a side hustler, a speaker, and financial wellness advocate. Please welcome Sarah Wilson, Budget Girl. Hi. Thank you so Thank much for having me. I love talking about money, so let's do it. Awesome. Yes. So, Sarah, how did you actually start getting interested in money? I mean, was it just the student debt or, you know, what else got you into this whole area? Um, it was a it was graduating with student debt, becoming a journalist, uh, and then getting laid off and realizing that I had uh, twenty seven thousand dollars worth of student loans that ballooned up to thirty three while I was deferring them because I was making so little, and it was just kind of terrifying. I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent. I didn't know how I was going to eat, and I knew it, it would be a lot easier to get by if I didn't have the debt. So I swore to myself that once I got a new job, I would handle this debt thing, I would get better at money. And I managed to do it. Six years later, I uh, now have a net worth of over $100,000. I own real estate property, I still make a pretty normal income. And I'm really good with money. So I and I've kind of taken everyone along that journey with me from negative 33k to where I am now on YouTube. And we are real transparent about personal finance over there, and I think it helps everyone evolve. Absolutely. That's so inspiring because I think there's a lot of people who feel like, um, you know, unless you have a job that pays you hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you cannot have, you know, wealth or even financial security. Like there's just no way. And so they're just looking for that million dollar job. And if they don't find it, they're like, oh, well, I guess there's no hope for me. So I love hearing exactly what you said that you're like, I still make a modest wage. I'm just better about what I have and that's that's such a school uh, such a, t a tool and a skill everyone can use absolutely i actually think that the lower income you are the more important it is to be better with money because little money mistakes when you have little money uh makes a big impact little money mistakes when you have money to spare it's easy to be like eh, it's fine i have some more so and some of those ideas actually come into play in today's book so <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, so before we get on to the automatic millionaire, um, Sarah, what did, you know, in your journey uh, in personal finance, I mean, what has been the role of, of books in that? And have there been any standout things that you've read that have really helped you? 
Yeah. So I'm a huge reader. I, I read like 300 books a year. Uh, most of them are fiction, but I'm a big reader and always have been. And this today's book, Automatic Millionaire by David Bach, is actually one of the three books that I read when I got started in personal finance. And I feel like that they kind of framed my outlook and my uh, journey going forward, at least at the beginning. And so I started with Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, Automatic Millionaire by uh, David Bach, and of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I feel like between those three, it gave me a really, really good idea of what I was getting into, the steps that I might need to take, and how to kind of scale, which I think is so important. And if you, if we wanted to give our our viewers on YouTube or our listeners on the podcast like a quick uh, lesson takeaway right off the top before we get started, uh, if you could think about you know one lesson that you've learned that's been pivotal or one idea I guess that's been super helpful on your journey, just something we can share to to be folks. What what would you say? Well, this might come as no surprise, but uh, I go by the moniker Budget Girl, and I honestly I honestly believe that having a budget. Uh, and actually planning what you want to do with your money and then following through on that and tracking where your money's come from and where, where it's going is the key to everything. Especially when you're on a smaller income, having that record, that active uh, rule book that you've set for yourself of what you're going to do with your money in the month and then figuring out what you want to do with what's left over at the end of it and how you can make that help you achieve your money goals is key. It's so key. I know we're going to get into how David Bach talks about, you know, kind of the anti-budget, but especially if you're lower income and honestly now even making more money and having more leeway at the end of the month, I find a budget to be absolutely key. Yeah. And so this is sort of the whole point of the book, um, that if you have a good budget and you have, you're saving automatically, paying yourself first and not having too many lattes, um, then you can end up a millionaire. And he, he, I think it's the first sort of anecdote in the book, um, is this couple that he meets called the, the McIntyres. And they're very sort of average couple, um, average wages. Um, they've brought up a family, but they've got large pension funds. They've got a mountain of cash. Um, bonds, three cars, a boat. Um, two houses. So got, yeah, two houses. Yeah. Um, so it reminded me actually of this book, The Millionaire Next Door, which mm -hmm. I loved, other personal finance classic, hearing about this couple. I don't know if they're imaginary. I oh, know. I think he really met them. Um, but they, this couple says, if we can do it, anyone can. Um, so, I mean, Sarah, is this um, – is this just a bit of sort of literary flight here or based on the strategies that we'll talk about, do you think this is actually possible for the average person? I think it's highly possible. The McIntyres don't do debt. I loved that. That was powerful. Yeah. And I mean, there there's privilege inherent in two incomes, both being even of average income, you generally have a little bit extra to live off of. And they were able to really do some amazing stuff with that by just kind of making one-time smart decisions and then repeating those throughout their life, which is, of course, as we know, the point of the book. Um, if you are just kind of making it paycheck to paycheck, something's 
you're not going to be able to just kind of make those easy decisions and rack up the boats and the cars and everything. But the basis of that, I think, is almost universal, probably, if you can um, just live below your means and then make sure to optimize what you're doing with that extra money. Yeah, you're going to be wealthy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just a matter of time, really, isn't it? Um, if you've got good habits and time, uh, things will come good. Um, but he, he, I think in the book, Bark, he's giving this um, seminar and this Kim, who's 23, comes up to him and, you know, he's talking about um, the lattes, <laughs> the latte factor or avocado toast or <laughs> whatever. David's gotten so much damn flack for that latte factor yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. exactly. And, and it's led to a whole backlash, right, with, with like Ramit Sethi saying, mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's, forget about the lattes. Right. It's not about the lattes. There are right. a lot of personal finance you know, gurus out there and pages that are like, I'll drink my Starbucks, like, you can pry it from my cold, dead hands. And it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of not the point. Like, And quite frankly, to uh, David's credit, he uh, he wrote an entire follow-up book called The Latte Factor. He's trademarked it. He like went hard on it and tried to explain it further, <laughs> yeah. which quite frankly is, I think, the best thing you could do on that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's about your buying habits. When you start getting into trying to fix your finances, you have to look at what you're spending your money on. Um, it might not be a latte. I've never had the money to spend $5 a day on a latte, but there's always a leak in your budget. When I got started, it was not planning food, so I would end up like picking up something, even a buck or two a day at Taco Bell or McDonald's or going to the grocery store two or three times a, day, a week and just like grabbing what you want instead of actually planning your meals can create like a huge hundreds of dollars a month suck on your budget. If you can then optimize that, take that excess away that's being wasted, you can use it for something else. It's a really good theory. It's probably poorly named, but, or maybe not because he got pretty famous off of it. <laughs> there you go. That's true. There's the no press is bad press thing. Yep. Absolutely. All press is good press. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if for, for folks listening or watching, if you're unfamiliar with this whole latte factor thing, the basic gist is that um, David Bach asserts that instead of spending five bucks a day on a latte, if you invested that five dollars a day every day uh, for years on end so uh, that you would have, oh, gosh. Over a million dollars, he says. So, yeah, five dollars a day invested after a few decades can become a mil over a million dollars. Uh, and and so basically he kind of put this dividing line in the sand of you're either willing to give up your daily latte and invest that money or you're unwilling to give up that daily latte and then you're unwilling to become a millionaire. Uh, and, and I think people saw that and were like, but I love my latte. You're telling me to give up what I love. And, you know, but but to Sarah's point, it, it's not about stop drinking lattes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, for, for podcasters, yep, I perfect. did stop by McDonald's this morning and grabbed a <laughs> Grab the French vanilla a Mick Cafe, but see the yeah. Mick Cafe—that's half the cost of that Starbucks half, one. So yeah, and it's not a daily exactly. habit. We should mention yeah. that not a daily habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I guess the the real thing is you don't really need the line in the sand because if you are someone who is going to invest that money in every month, every day, whatever, anyway, then if you have the money to 
have your latte and also invest, then great. But, you know, it's I, I think his point is just if you have discretionary income, it shouldn't be going to a, something dispendable. It should be going to something that's invest that's an investment. Um, but there is also this whole theory of thought about like, well, the whole point of having money is to be happy. So if your latte makes you happy, then make sure you put some money in the budget for that. I mean, you know, so yeah, there is. Yeah. But if your if your latte, your daily latte habit is essentially robbing you of having money to live on in retirement, maybe you do need to rethink that. I I think he got a lot of flack for it because he used the $5 a day latte, which everyone's grabbed at one one point in time, maybe not every day, but I think it kind of rubbed lower income people wrong because they're like, my problem is not, I don't, that I grab a latte every day. My problem is that, you know, I'm not being paid enough. We're chronically overworked, all of that stuff. So I think and, th- and this was probably what, when I got very started, I kind of geared more towards Dave Ramsey's principles because they were a little bit more applicable to lower income people, single people like myself. I didn't have as much discretionary income. So now that I'm in it a little bit more and I have more discretionary income, I feel like that's kind of the middle class is more where uh, box teachings can really be best utilized. They are not for the low income. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, very good point. Um, and so we move on to another of um, Bach's principles, pay yourself first. I mean, um, Sarah, you're just talking about like someone with a lower income. Does this pay yourself first? Well, you can explain what it is to the audience, but does that does this principle make sense if you're on a very low income as well? So... Sometimes it can be pretty hard when I, so his, he essentially says, pay yourself before you pay anyone else. Now, if you've got a thousand dollars a month to live on, which uh, I did when I got started, I was making twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars a year and my monthly check was $1,600. My student loan payment was about $500. So I had right around a thousand bucks to live off of. If that's, that's not enough to then take. 10% of that and save every month realistically. That money was better spent trying to kind of dig my way out of debt so I had a little bit more room. That said, now that I have more money, I actually save about $1,000 a month automatically. And it comes out of my bank account into various sinking funds. I also invest automatically. And it absolutely works because I don't miss that money. But... If you're doing this, <laughs> we haven't quite gotten to automation yet, but saving 10% is so important. Um, not necessarily 10%, but saving money is so important. There will eventually be a rainy day. I think an emergency fund is the number one key, honestly, even before a budget because stuff's going to happen in life. But uh, and I kind of think it depends on where you are. If you're low income, saving that much instead of using it to pay off debt might not be the best call. Maybe you should make a little emergency fund first and then try to uh, pull down that debt a little. I think Bach says it's more about creating the habit, isn't it? Because he said he, he had no money in his 20s. So for him, it was just even putting aside 1% of what he earned um, was very valuable him. To, so he got into the habit of it. And then, as you say, as you earn more, um, you put away more. And but the thing is automated that's what the mackintyres did as well 
if you do this from the very beginning, you never notice it, and then suddenly you've got a big lump sum uh, a few years down the track. Yeah, the automation is a is a big theme of automatic millionaire. It's why it's in the title. <laughs> is uh, he he basically is saying he does not trust you to you know suddenly think, oh, today's the day I'm going to move money into savings or, you know, <laughs> well, it's the end of the week or end of the month or end of the year. I'm going to move stuff into savings now. Like he's assuming that people just don't do that. And so then next thing you know, months, weeks, years have passed and you've never gotten around to it. So automate it, automate it. Just like Sarah said, have a, you know, a regular uh, automatic from your bank to elsewhere draft that just pulls money so that you don't have to be the one thinking about it it just happens and also to box credit he was talking about automation before that was something that like everyone did before automatic bill pay was a thing really he uh now everything i have is automated all of my bills come immediately out my investments come immediately out my savings come automatically out but back when he published this i think it was pretty much just the savings that you could automate or you could you know set something up with your individual bank and it was less common and i think it's a good idea especially once you have your once those automatic pulls are not going to overdraft you which i think is once again going back to the low in, lower income thing if you don't have the basic control over your money the good money habits and a little bit left in your bank account and you suddenly set up a bunch of auto deposits you're suddenly going to find yourself overdrafted and everything like that so you have to have a budget you have to have those basic money habits and you have to have a little bit of lanyap for just regular monthly money things to happen kind of before you automate. I actually, every month, move stuff to my savings accounts uh, individually, like $4 into the sinking fund for about two years until I got comfortable enough to automate. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great yeah, point. Yeah, I think uh, before automation, people put stuff every month into jars or in <laughs> right. envelopes right, right. and the McIntyre's. But yeah. this point about um, uh, David brings it up about debts. So if you've got debts, should you start paying yourself first into a savings fund or should you pay your credit cards off first? Um, his point is that you'll be more motivated if you start a savings fund at the same time that you are paying your debts off. Um which sort of makes sense, given where psychological creatures, you've got to have something to, to motivate yourself uh, for the future, as well as sort of taking care of it, all the debt you've accumulated. What do you think, Karen? I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I like David's point about pay off your debts quickly. Um, I, I also like the psychologically the piece about change who you are. So become a saver. I think there's power in the labels that you give yourself. And when you say, I'm just bad with money, then that becomes who you are. But when you say, no, I'm a saver and I'm starting to save now, even as Tom mentioned, even if it's only 1%, making that a part of who you are, um, I think makes it easier to stay motivated. Because if you take that on of like, from now on, I am a saver, I will save even if, if it's hard, whatever. Um, I think that will keep you motivated, even when you've got debt or whatever. If you have taken on that label, I think that's that's powerful. What do you think, Sarah? Uh, so once again, beginning of debt journey, I kind of was more Dave Ramsey camp. And mm -hmm. 
that was save a little beginner emergency fund and then everything else to debt. And I did have a couple of little sinking funds that I put, you know, $4 here, $10 here to like Christmas to um, car repair, replace and, you know, annual pet shots. But it, there was also a real power in throwing every single extra dollar that I had beyond that baby emergency fund to the debt and seeing how fast I could get it down. So there's, there's power in both. There really is. I think you just have to kind of pick what's going to be most motivating for you and what makes the most sense for your life. Because personal finance, as we know, is personal. Yep, mm. absolutely. What about you, Tom? Um, yeah, I think w- when I had some credit card debts, I mean, I struggled with this too. Um, you know, when I was a student and stuff, working out which is more motivating. Um, but it's it's hard to, um, you know, it is a pretty sort of crushing feeling. Um, you know, let's be clear about it for many people um, with debts and credit cards and so on. It can be such a psychological burden pressing down. You can never really, um, you can't sort of see into the future. Um, and you mentioned Dave Ramsey's, he really emphasizes, doesn't he, this um, the snowball this cushion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, this, this fund, this rainy day fund. Um. Um, and I think, you know, for many people having this fund of like six months of earnings or even a year is sort of um, a pipe dream, but it is incredibly motivating. And I was thinking recently, you know, with what's happened in the last 12 months, the pandemic, how incredibly important um, this rainy day fund has been. I mean, in the UK, there's all sorts of statistics that, you know, businesses went under, families split up just because they had no cushion um, at all. And I think it's sort of an old-fashioned idea, isn't it? David Bark talks about, I think, his grandmother who said, David, when the going gets tough, the tough have cash. Um you know, and our sort of grandparents always had these sort of sinking funds for emergencies and so on, whereas now people just sort of rely on their credit card. If something, you know, emergency happens, they, they uh, depend on that. Um, so, Sarah, you know, what's been the sort of your whole psychological take on, on the rainy day fund and creating it and achieving it, et cetera? How important has it been for you? Uh, it is essential. And like I said, coming from where I started my money journey, being broke and in debt and terrified and unemployed, um, having savings to uh, fall back on should it, I just never wanted to be scared with money again. So currently I do have a six month emergency fund and then I have a $15,000 saved as a emergency fund just for my duplex <laughs> in case anything happens to it Um, because I live in one side never rent out the other so I am a landlord but just in case that's so I don't even have to go into my personal reserves I I do think saving is essential but I did choose at the time when I was paying off debt to just keep like two grand as a baby emergency fund and then just plow through as much debt as I could and then I saved up the big emergency fund and I think that worked for me Um, if I had been in the middle of a pandemic and I'd lost my job I would have wanted a larger emergency fund and I think if your employment is ever in danger, or maybe you're a family where like 
one person works, the other doesn't, maybe you should have a bigger emergency fund. You know, if one person's job might be in danger, honk up the emergency fund. Uh, and you have to make that decision, but whatever will help you sleep better at night. Because I sleep awesome knowing that if I lost my job, I would have close to a year <laughs> worth of, like, I'll be fine for a year without ever having to touch my investments, anything like that, because I have that savings. Absolutely. That's that's such a key thing that you mentioned is like what helps you personally sleep at night. And that's going to be different for everyone because if you have kids, if you have debt, if you have, you know, all these things are going to differ from person to person. And and, and to your point also, like if you are a single income, dual income, um, all your dependents, like it, it's going to be different. And so uh, find that magic number for your cushion, have that whatever helps you sleep at night, and then also helps kind of make you feel like you're ready to take on a little bit of risk. Because when we're talking investments, there is risk associated. And it's hard to be risky with your investments. It's hard to, you know, invest at all, if you know that you don't have enough in the bank to sleep at night. So I, I think that could help with that piece of it as well as like you save so that you can spend without pulling your hair out kind yeah. of a thing. And to what Tom said of it sounds like a pipe dream. Like six years ago, if you'd told me like, all right, Sarah, you're going to have like 50 K in, you know, your savings. Um, I would have been like, <laughs> that's two years of salary for where I was then. It's incremental. You start saving and paying off the debt. And as you get better with money, you're going to get better at saving. And it is habits. It's absolutely gaining habits and getting better with money as you go on. So it's very hard to look at people sometimes that are making maybe 10k a month and you're like, I can't fathom that. But it's, you have to work your way up to it. So that's really important as well. And I do think that that accessibility was not quite there. I feel like with uh, this book, you kind of have to start out with some money at the end of the month to really appreciate these. Going back and reading it now, it makes a lot more sense and it seems very easy. So if you're coming at it from where you're making enough money to live off of, this is a really good plan that you could follow very easily. Mm. And I think there's a line that people cross on their journey in personal finance where at the start they only think about what they can buy or consume once they have some money. And then, then you start getting interested in investing and saving. And there's a point after which you get more excitement and enjoyment from your investment earnings than you're getting from what you can buy and consume. Um, I can't remember if, if Rich, if David talks about this in his book, but he does. For me, that's he does. Yeah, yeah. He talks about avoiding silly or purchases that would impress people, like fancy cars, mm -hmm. and. Uh, that, that absolutely speaks to what you're talking about because it's sure you'll impress some stranger on the street you've never met, but quite frankly, dividend day is my favorite day of the month. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And um, he also talks, speaking motivation about uh, compounding um, and, you know, automation plus compound interests uh, equals serious wealth is one of his quotes. Um and the, the compound interests, because it's sort of so counterintuitive, you need to have it explained to you and see it on a graph. And most people say, like, I wish I had seen that earlier. Um, so he talks a lot about the earlier you start in your savings journey, the better. Um, 
But then he's got these other books, you know, what is it, Start Late, Finish Rich. Um, so I like that, that he he gives hope to people who have come to this whole personal finance thing later in life and that there's still sort of hope for them. Um, so I like that sort of compassionate aspect to it. Yeah. I The plan outlined in this book is definitely for people who are younger and have time because you need yeah. the time for the automation. But there are a lot of people who come to personal finance improvement later that absolutely need that kind of good help that it's just needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one other principle we can sort of end with, he talks about um, giving money as well. Um, and he says you, you might want to have this automatic uh, giving as well as saving because it gives you this uh, feeling or psychological sense that, um, you know, the universe is an abundant place and you're not always having to grab and struggle for money. That as soon as you can start to give on a regular basis, it, you know, it makes you feel really good and, um, you know, makes you feel more secure in, in a paradoxical way. What do you think about, about this, uh, Sarah? I think giving is really, really fun. Um, I have kind of a slush fund in my budget where if I feel like it'll maybe buy someone else a meal or give a big tip, that kind of thing. I always try to really tip delivery workers well because I delivered pizza when I was trying <laughs> to pay off debt as a side gig. And you would be surprised how many people don't tip at all. So that means I got a dollar for like a half an hour of my time, you know, making $2 an hour because they, you know, it's expected that you get tips. And that was just kind of like a nightly devastating thing then. So (laughs) if I can do uh, that, I think it's, it can be really fun. And it also can potentially get you out of the, you know, the, the greedy money thing where a lot of people think that people who are interested in money and wealth building are just like, Scrooge McDuck, like my horn, my horn. <laughs> if you can actually throw that forward into the universe a little and make someone else's day a little better, especially service workers, especially people that uh, you can probably tell are not doing quite as well, it can make a big difference. Yeah, mm. definitely. And I liked uh, David Bach's point about it's not money that makes life worth living, it's meaning. And so the giving is an opportunity to make your money mean something because um, at some point, things will break, things will go away. Um, You know, whatever you buy for yourself isn't going to last forever, most likely. Uh, But if you can make your money mean something by giving to charities that you care about, or, um, you know, social causes, political causes, whatever they are, then your dollars are doing something that lasts. uh, And you get to, like you said, show that for yourself and to others that you're not just you know, saving for yourself, because at some point, you may lose interest in your own hobbies or your own, you know, whatever, like at some point, it may, it may not be as meaningful to you just for yourself. But when your money is doing good in the world for others, that's when you know, it it becomes worth doing. Mm -hmm. That's very powerful. Um, So uh, guys, we've got to the point uh, in the show where we Uh, say what we thought of the book in summary and give a rating for it. Um, Corinne, shall we start with you? 
Sure, sure, sure. So um, I love this book. I, I, I have, I'm going to give this five out of five bookmarks. I think it's I think it's uh, everything that I look for in a book. It kept kept me interested. It's immediately applicable and useful. Um, it's one that I think everyone should read. There's no reason not to. Uh, I mean, it, in general, it's just um, it's a simple, mathematical, approachable way of explaining exactly how anyone can be a millionaire as long as you've got a little bit of discretionary money and a lot of time you could be a millionaire <laughs> so i think it's i think it's great it's written really well um yeah no complaints from me yeah uh, what, sarah where does where does this book come in your reading and personal finance um how do you rate how do you rate it uh so i've read a lot of personal finance books so i tend to be tough on things but i i have met david Buck, and he's he's a sweetheart. I think this is a fantastic book. So I'm going to give it four and a half out of five bookmarks because I think it's an excellent layman's read. It's a good introduction to personal finance, especially for middle class and up on how to just make some good money habits that can kind of set them up for life. And excellent for a nine to fiver that's not necessarily interested in like entrepreneurship, business building, anything like that. It's accessible to probably most people. So uh, yeah, excellent book. And I'm very glad that I read it when I was getting started. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, You do, you do meet people who have, you know, one personal finance book has sort of suddenly changed their life. Um, I've met people, it was Think and Grow Rich. Other ones, it was Richest Man in Babylon, uh, Millionaire Next Door. So I love all these books. Um, I love how they weave in personal stories and anecdotes. Um, you know, it just makes it all come alive. I think historically people have thought personal finance was boring. Um, it's definitely not anymore. Um, so I give it a four out of five, uh, a great read. And, um, yeah, it does cover the the – concepts as you say Sarah that have covered in other books but um it's always good to be reminded of them and I think that uh, for a for a like money book it doesn't have that like snake oil salesman feel you know where some of these books kind of give you that like creepy vibe of like you can do it just get out there and like hustle and blah 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 I don't know he, and David Bach is not that it's so like calm and casual and approachable and it's just like this is going to happen automatically if you just do these things or not that's okay you know like that's just... <laughs> it's a it's yeah. a good common sense read that has good tangible tips on how to improve your money that actually aren't going to benefit him at all which i think was where the snake oil comes in sometimes yes. where it's yes. like just buy my course follow right. my method he's just like right. just automate your freaking payments yep. and yep. <laughs> yep. Like, like it makes sense it makes mathematical sense as you said that's true and yeah. i know as budget girl it's probably very counterintuitive for you for him to just make the assumption that everyone hates budgets <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> david Bach's thing is like no one likes doing a budget no one can do a budget so forget budgeting and just automate your savings and leave it there for a long time and then you're a millionaire how 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 does this sit with you <laughs> there are there are so many people out there that i feel like they they're like you don't have to budget. And then they're like, but make a budget. And, right. and I feel like that's what this is. Like you can't mm. just automate all these payments coming out of your account if you don't know how much is coming in and going out and how much you're going to have left. Like you have to do it at least once. And then you're probably going to have to check in every once in a while. So at some point in there, you have to kind of make a budget. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that's why you lost the half a star. It's, it's, uh, um, 
But I understand if you have to if you have to mentally like trick yourself into budgeting, cool. Just just do it. <laughs> By any means necessary. <laughs> yeah. Because at some point you're gonna have to write everything down. You're just gonna have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shortcuts. Um, yeah, so Sarah, how do how do people find out more about you and what you do and, and your videos and everything and you know what what's the sort of stuff you talk about on a regular basis. Absolutely. So I talk uh, basic money management and how to live the life that you want on any income level. And so creating the personal finance plan that works for you, you can find out a ton more about me. All of my stuff is completely free at budgetgirl.com and youtube.com slash budgetgirl. I actually have almost seven years worth of videos of me documenting my way out of horrible debt and building wealth. So there's like the proof behind me of this is actually working and I know what I'm talking about most of the time. And I also do a lot of real estate and house hacking stuff and essentially how to build wealth on average and low incomes. That's awesome. So uh, so, so important. Um, the first $1,000 you save is always, you know, the biggest deal or the first 10000 um, and a lot of the personal finance stuff is focused on the sort of, I guess, wealthier people and high-level investments. So I think it's super valuable uh, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a quick update on uh, David Bach and this book. So um, in the past 10 years since writing this, um, he's written about a dozen best-selling books. Most of, most of them are like various niches of automatic millionaire concepts. So he's got like some for women, some for couples, some for environmentalists. He's got some workbooks, those kind of things. So he sort of pieced it out as many t ways as he could. Um, he's impacted over 100 million people with his books, podcasts, seminars, speeches, uh, media appearances, all that good stuff. He's also a contributor on uh, NBC's Today Show and the Oprah Winfrey Show and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So Bach is definitely still around and writing and he's still accessible. Uh, so, you know, as Sarah said, if, if you're still needing to trick yourself into thinking that you don't want a budget Bach is the one who's going to say oh just set aside some money but then when you're ready to put it in high gear check out budget girl she's going to tell you how to spend every dollar I, and you mentioned like sinking funds and every dollar so I'm curious about your tools are you a YNAB a you need a budget tool person or what what do you use I'm a spreadsheet girl, actually. Oh, and okay, I feel like okay. those also get a bad name, like budgeting. Yep. I actually yep. have a budget, a Google Sheets budget template that I've been using for years. I have a free version on my website and one with like a full tutorial and support and all of that on Etsy. And yeah, it's, it's really simple. You plug in your numbers, you track your progress because that's so important to track your progress. And it'll every single money goal that I have made, I have hit. And it's been because of budgeting. Amazing. That's great. So budget girls become spreadsheet girls. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but honestly, I don't care what type of budget you use. If you are a YNABber, if you're an every dollar app, whatever it is, just make sure it works. Because if you're not checking in with your budget, if you're not reconciling it and continuing to use it, it's not going to work. You have to just do whatever works for you. So I try to tell people, I don't care if you use my spreadsheet or not, just make one. Make it so you don't mind checking in on it a few times a month. 
my sister likes to color. So she, hers is a like big picture and a map and she colors in squares and that's her whole thing. So Very whatever cool. works. Yeah. Paper planner people. Huge. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, All right. Right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and, um, uh, people listening or watching, we've also got the actual book insight, which goes into the automatic millionaire in more detail and covers the themes one by one. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed our more informal chat today on the book. That's right. And as always, you can find all of our book insights and book lounge episodes on our YouTube channel uh, at Book Insights Pod, or you can find us on uh, any of the podcast platforms. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Book Insights Pod. All right. Thank you all for watching and listening and hope you'll check in with us next week for an all new book. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye.